This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a volunteer-based community access station. For more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project. You're tuned to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a program called Real Wealth. It's our pleasure, as always, to have in the studio, in the hot seat, for want of a better word, Nick Stewart from the Stewart Group. How are you going, Nick? Very well, thank you. Now, uh, we've got lots of interesting stuff to talk about today, Nick, but just before we get there, just remind our listeners, if we want to come and see the Stewart Group for financial advice, where are you? We are located at 204 Academy Road, right in the centre of Hastings, a black basalt stone building with a tartan logo that you can't miss. Expert advice on everything financial. You bet. Now, like I said, we've got loads of good stuff to talk about today, but I just wonder if we could just do a bit of a recap on what we spoke about last time you came in. We were talking about Bitcoin. Has we it, were. Has it rallied or? Oh, it has, yeah, it has bounced back a little bit since the doldrums of where it was, but, um, the same issues still, still are there. Mm. And that's it. There, there is now a plethora of different currencies, cryptocurrencies mm. that you can buy globally. Whether or not one or two of the many hundreds will survive, no one knows. Yeah. Uncharted territory. A lot of worried people out there who sold their shirts to buy some shares, maybe. Yeah, well, you know, there's a bit of evidence in the US and some of the um, some of the more developed Asian countries that a lot of people borrowed to invest in Bitcoin. Mm. So if you'd borrowed 50% in, you know, 50% uh, debt against the asset in January, today you would have no equity. That's a good point. Is it ever worth borrowing to invest in stuff like the share market? Yeah, quite a few people do do that. Um, some people use it um, because it's quite tax advantageous to them because mm. they um, because of the way that they uh, position the assets and the debt. The um, you know naturally the the dividend yield is taxable and the interest on the debt is tax deductible. And they are long-term investors who typically have cash reserves outside mm. though that particular asset so that should the market drop, they're easily able to top it up with uh, a further equity advance. That is what's called a margin call. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you have the advantage, Nick, that you've been in the financial industry for well over 30 years. And, you know, you see something like Bitcoin come mm. along, you're probably very wary of it. But Joe Blue, who, you know, it's all about greed, isn't it? Yes. They see this fantastic thing that the instant millionaires, and they wouldn't think twice about selling or borrowing against their house, would they? Yeah, yeah, that, that, uh, that's right. You know, New Zealanders, um, and, you know, there's a, you know, a few other um, investors in the former well, you know, what is currently the Commonwealth countries, but, you know, that kind of developing mm. world back in the day. Yeah. And we, for some reason, we quite like to go with those fads. You know, I'm thinking ostriches, mm. uh, possum farming, yeah. um, angora goats. Exactly. Yeah, you name it, we've got into it. And, yeah, a lot of people, excuse the pun, but they, you know, bet the farm. Yeah. And they lose that big time. Yeah. Always uh, a good idea to come and see a guy like you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you know, you know, you know, for us, we like to have a chat with people. You know, we always have a we call it a roll up the sleeve session, have a coffee, and talk to people about where they are at, what their goals and objectives are, and how we can optimize their existing financial structure and their plan. Yeah, I mean, if someone came to say to look, I want to invest in a guinea pig farm, you what would you say? Mm, maybe not. <laughs> I'd, probably, I'd, I'd, I'd have a polite chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, today, uh, like I say, lots to talk about. 
Let's start off with robo-advice. What do you want to talk about there? Well, look, um, submissions have just started for, for those in New Zealand that wish to create a robo-advice engine. So that is where a, you know, it's a machine automated investment approach. And I find it interesting mm. that, you know, New Zealand is just opening up our market to a fairly large exemption, um, exemption, e.g. lowering of the regulatory bar. And at the, in the backdrop was that with the market correction in the world in um, early February, that the world's largest robo-advice engines froze. Wow. And they froze because the number of people that were trying to get in to sell or look at the damage, you know, the red ink on the page, yeah. there were so many people trying to get access that the engines, the you know, the computer systems shut down. down. So, so I find I find it ironic that our exemption to allow robot advice into New Zealand has just started. Yeah. And the backdrop is that the world's best who have been doing this for a long period of time, names such as Wealthfront and Betterment, these are the big providers that they um, came unstuck and had some issues. Is this also the machines that you were talking about that they're using for Bitcoin, that they're always looking for buy-sell opportunities, constantly doing it 24 hours a day? They've yes. got, got the edge over the share market, haven't they? Um, yeah, they do if the systems work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, the other thing, the fact is that, you know, robot advice, there is always the ability of human intervention. Mm. Human intervention being that you and I, the consumer, we can log in and exit our cash, yep. divest, sell the assets. And unfortunately, so whilst the algorithm or the computer system that's designed to buy on the dip, sell on the high, mm. you know, the old analogy, that a lot of people actually struggle to stick with that. So naturally, there have been two kind of like little flash crash or um, it's an industry term. It's where the market drops quickly in a short space of time. Um, and there was one a couple of years ago that was led by the Chinese market. And that on both those particular scenarios, analysis of the robo advice platforms showed that human intervention occurred rather than the systems buying on the dip mm. actually what happened is that the human got involved and elected to liquidate the assets instead because mm. you can actually track the flows of funds in and out of these assets so out of these engines these robo advice platforms so we can actually see we can see money actually leaves them as the market declines mm. Whereas the whole idea with the robot advice and the algorithm is that it's supposed to remove the uh, behavioural finance, that human element of fear. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, on a more simplistic uh, level, it would take the fun out of it, wouldn't it? <laughs> let, let the machine do all the thinking for well, you, buy, well, sell? Well, I think that if you're actually after some fun with investment, um, I think you should probably go get a surfboard, <laughs> head, head to Tier Wong, yeah. lovely, lovely right hand brake, have some fun in the waves rather than, yeah, uh, than have a in the market. <laughs> better get a roof rack then. <laughs> now, a bit of a surprise in New Zealand in the equities market, and uh, you want to talk about flexible? Yeah, look, a little bit of a shocker there. I mean, mm. you're talking about the largest listed New Zealand company. You know, the darling of the market back in early 2016, you know, peaked at $11.02, which was a market cap of about $7.5 million. And, well, after two years of losses, big losses mm. in a market that should be, when I mean a market, a building sector that's sure. booming, the price is now $6.55 and the market cap is $4.5 billion. So $3 billion of wealth has evaporated due to the um, general lack of confidence in that company as a result. I mean, you understand losses. that market. Um, Nick, what, what happened there? I mean, how could it get 
to be so bad in such a short space of time? Well, look, anyone that's built a house, um, you know, on one of those, I know what yep. it's like when you build a house and, you know, you're quoted that it's going to be $100,000 and, well, lo and behold, it's $125,000. Well, imagine scaling that type of issue up where you're building a new a new courthouse, you're building a police precinct, and, you know, the numbers are three and four hundred million and effectively Fletcher Building has announced that they're you know making losses mm. expected losses on those building projects of you know hundreds of millions of dollars yeah and, and these are projects you and I can see I was in Auckland last Tuesday Wednesday and walked past the new convention center development well that's another one and it's a poor big old losses. shareholder has got no say in it and they're the guys that are losing big time yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. well, look, you know, that you know the way a company works. You know, you appoint the directors. You know, every shareholder has yep. has the entitlement to have a vote, uh, irrespective of the size. You just it's um, you know the more shares you have, the, the you know the bigger percentage of vote. But you know, the board appoints the the management team, and they're charged with growing the company yeah. and protecting the um, you know the balance sheet. I was very surprised, not that I know much about it, but I was having a chat to my wife when. This went down and Sir Ralph Norris kind of handed his notice mm. and then uh, fell on the sword. But all the builders that we've hired all seem to have what they call a contingency clause where they say, look, yeah, we think this bathroom is going to cost $10,000 <laughs> and then, you know, it's $14,000. Yeah, that's right. But if the little guy who's making my bathroom can cover himself, you think that Fletcher Building would cover themselves, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 you would. Well, I mean, effectively, Fletchers are covering, and it, and it, you know, effectively comes out of shareholder funds. Yeah. On the basis that the, you know, the business isn't, isn't as profitable as it was, and they were actually in, uh, technically in breach of some banking covenants, which is why the uh, stock price was halted for a couple of days whilst they came to new agreements. And I guess, uh, when we're talking about buying and selling shares, this is one of those times that you might say, well, look, it is swings and roundabouts. Yeah, correct. You know, so too bad that you lost two billion dollars, but give it another five years, yeah, it'll be back. Exactly. Look, um, you know, you know, if you go back in time, Fletcher Building, um, you know, surged in two thousand, surged in the period leading up to two thousand sixteen. But I can remember, um, as a younger fellow, I remember Fletcher Building was struggling. Yeah. In the, I remember in the late nineteen nineties, it was struggling. It was losing money on Australian projects. So look, companies, you know, wax and wane. Do you see it recovering from this? Oh look, I'm sure it will. Look, they'll be very, very careful on how they price projects going forward. Yep. Um, without a shadow of a doubt. What about IPOs? Oh yeah, well the IPOs. You've had a company that uh, IPO'd. That's an initial public offering, like a share market listing. Was a company called CBL, uh, listed with a market capitalization not that long ago of seven hundred and fifty million dollars. And unfortunately, they put themselves into voluntary administration a couple of days ago. I think it was late last week. Mm. Some of the European central banks uh, requested or made a statement that they uh, wish CBL to stop writing insurance, stop writing uh, new insurance premiums, mm. and new business. And yeah, it's all collapsed now. So um, that, that's that's pretty bad. And look, it comes back to that whole thing with IPOs is that a lot of companies list on the market. Some do very, very well, like zero. Other companies do poorly. The fact is diversification is your friend. Sure. Don't buy one, buy many, because typically new companies to the market have fairly aggressive growth strategies for the most part, and you know, not everything always comes out smelling roses. Is there a criteria to list on the share market? I mean, do you have to have 
good credit rating for want of a better word? Do you have to be sort of like a good guy to be able to list? Well, look, I mean, uh, there are certainly um, certain requirements and, you know, companies typically have a sponsoring broker that helps them get themselves in shape. Mm. You know, they, you know, they'll, they'll build a robust board. There's, you know, compliance programs to meet the NZX requirements. Um, you know, these are a lot stronger, these requirements, than they were in the 1980s where, you know, the old possum fur trading company was listed, et cetera. There were some interesting, colourful companies back then that didn't have the same robustness of today. But the fact is this is capitalism. And, look, capitalism isn't all about winners. No. Capitalism does work, but, um, you know, companies, some win and some fail. Someone has to lose to be someone to be a capitalist. <laughs> well, not necessarily because capitalism will see a positive tide. But the fact is, you know, like anything, like, um, you know, if you take a cohort of rugby players, not everyone will make it into the All Blacks. Exactly. Now, you often talk about diversification and, uh, mm. you know, you, you hit it on the, on the head. That's the way to be successful. But why aren't people more successful, uh, Nick? Because people like yourself are always talking about it, that don't put your eggs in one basket. But so many people, and clever people um, as well, they fall into that trap. Why is that? Well, like, uh, just it comes back to greed for the most mm. part, greed and ego. And, you know, a lot of people aren't happy with, you know, the market average. They believe that, like every driver believes that they're better than the average. Mm. Um, you know, you know, we're all, well, most of us are born with that belief that we're a better driver than the average, Joe. Mm. Um, and it comes back to that with investing, but then you throw the greed element and the return factor into that. And some people, oh, some people ha- have to take quite a few losses before they learn. Yeah. Um, and that's, that has been the way of the world for an incredibly long period of time. You know, for as long as investment has been studied, mm. you can see massive case studies in this. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a program called Real Wealth. Got Nick Stewart in from the Stewart Group. Now, Nick, just to my other listeners, we want to come and see you for advice, particularly around what we're talking about today. Where are you? Uh, we're at 204 Academy Road in Hastings. Uh, it costs nothing to come and have a chat with us about, um, about financial advice. We always like meeting new people and, you know, we're a fee-only, independent, family-owned business. Been going for 32 years now. Did you have. Now, the word that no one wants to hear in the financial market is a bloodbath. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at some of the, looking at some of the early February headlines since my last, uh, chat with Ken on this show. And, you know, there was some headlines in early, early February there, you know, bloodbath, technical correction, you know, buckle your seatbelt, roller coaster ride with a whole lot of grainy images <laughs> of, uh, Traders in 1987 pulling their hair yeah. out with a couple of with a phone in each hand, but you know the fact is that yes, the markets came back um, in early February for a couple of weeks, and it kind of took us back where we were at one stage. We were trading back at about you know about the 28th of October last year. So imagine. Imagine last year mm. was a great year for numbers, and it kept going through to January. I mean, record high. And then the market pulled back in, in February. Now, the market's put on a little bit more fat since then. So as of this morning, the, the S&P 500, top 500 US listed companies, we're now back to the pricing, as of this morning, where we were on January the 16th. So in other words, yep, you could have gone to, gone to cash yep. in early February, but the fact is 
that the market is now back to where it was on January the 16th. So, you know, look, it would have sold a few newspapers, you know, with yeah. the bloodbath, buckle your seatbelt, etc. But the fact is, as it's turned out, it's actually been a non-event. I was just going to say that uh, the media's got a lot, a lot to answer for, haven't they? Because, you know, here we have a correction which took place in a short space of time. But at the time, the media were on it like a ton of bricks. Oh, very much so. Doom and gloom. And they're probably responsible for a lot of losses themselves, aren't they? Yep, yep, yeah, they are. Well, and, you know, a lot of people go with the steer that mm. comes from the, from the media, just as they did on the upside with Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, if you logged in in the period, you know, uh, November, December, there were like three or four articles on the Herald on stuff every single day. Well, I actually haven't read one for a little while. No. Because after people have halved their capital, they're, <laughs> it's, uh, right. yeah. It, and, exactly. and look, greed sells, but so does fear. Yes. And, and behavioral finance, and I, I, I reference it, and that's the study of the, you know, people's behavior. The, it's a little bit like Mark Twain with, you know, a cat that's been on a hot stove will never get back on a cold one either. Mm. Yeah, and too right. And a lot of New Zealanders have been like that. Post, you know, uh, older investors who are investing in the 1987 period. A lot of those people have never gone back and invested in shares again. No, well, you wouldn't because, yeah, like you say, it's uh, once bitten, twice shy. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, and and look, you know, the media sells that it works. I mean, there's a reason why they keep writing these articles because <laughs> clearly it sells. But the fact is that investors, well, most investors, are there for the long term. Yeah. And so therefore, just put away the newspaper. It's great for entertainment. And you know what? It lights a really good fire. Yeah. And you can wrap, and, 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 and you know, after you've caught a trout, you can wrap yeah. the trout guts in it and put it in the bin. But, but I wouldn't use that to steer my long-term investments. And that's the thing, isn't it? That's why we need to see an investor like yourself that, uh, I think most people, when they first buy shares, I know I had some, you know, 30, mm. 40 years ago, every day you were reading this. The yeah. share market, you know, how, <laughs> and you didn't have the internet back then, so it's just in the newspapers. They're all up, down, up, down, up, down. It was scary, and if you had quite a lot of money invested in it, you mm. thought, mm, "What should I be doing with this money? Shall I pull it out?" Um, so that's why investors or investment houses like yours are probably must, aren't they? Yeah, they are these days, and you know, there's you know, there's a lot of capital. A lot of people have a lot of money invested. Um, New Zealanders are living a lot longer than they ever mm. have. You know, like when, you know, when I was a child, you know, someone, someone who was 75 years was past the average life yes, expectancy. Exactly. Whereas today, you know, like if, like if you talk to an actuary, someone who works for an insurance company who's actually looking at life mortality and look, looking at the life rates, in other words, the life expectancy of a Kiwi, both male and female, they're going to tell you that if you're fit and able, e.g., you know, you don't have diabetes or, um, you know, bad knees or on a dialysis machine at age 65, you are going to live for another 30 years. Yeah. So on that basis, people really need to be careful with their capital because the state pension, whilst it is, is in fact quite generous given the fact that there is no pot of cash, it's coming out of the collective fund. It's, you know, a lot of people need a little bit more money than that, so they need to be careful with their capital. Seek advice, because, you know, if you make a mistake at age 80, you're going to struggle to get a job to replenish your capital. There's no going back, is there? There is none. No. 30 years, it's a long time, like you mentioned yeah, last time. It's a long time to be retired and have to budget for 30 years. 
Absolutely. <laughs> he hasn't been thinking about that. <laughs> now you want to talk about housing. Yes, yeah. Well, look, it's something that keeps coming up, and quite a few people have ref- referenced back to the Bricks and Mortar show that we did some time yes. ago, Ken. And look, I've written down some notes here, just in terms of some of the the potential headwinds ahead for the housing market because a lot of people have had an amazing run over a long period. I'm not talking just Mm. over the last five years, but if we actually look back, I mean, it's almost linear. It's almost like a straight line to heaven. Yes. I mean, the numbers are phenomenal. But I thought I'd just uh, touch on a couple of things that have been worked on at the moment. And, you know, anyone can, you know, ask Dr. Google for a copy of these reports and things that have been spoken about by the current Labour coalition government, but also the... Um, shadow uh, housing spokesman, which is now the is is the, you know housing, which is um, you know Phil Twyford. Mm. So one thing they're looking at doing is um, having a look at the Houston model, and the Houston model is effectively a different way of looking at the cost of developing land. And Houston in Texas mm-hmm. has done an amazing job with uh, housing affordability. Housing affordability. So effectively, it allows. It allows the the developer to subdivide um, lots for houses, apartments, shops, etc. But allowing the homeowner to repay their share of the infrastructure costs over a thirty year period. Mm. So at the moment, if you had uh, you know lazy ten acres on the outskirts of Hastings or Havelock, and you were able to you know to work through the planning permission to subdivide, you would be up for a phenomenal development cost to to get it to yes. a point where you could actually sell it to uh, either an investor or a potential homeowner to actually start building. And those development costs are huge. And also the consenting planning process is very expensive, a lot of red tape. Mm. And Houston's done a lot of work on that. And I know that from some of the articles that I've read, uh, written by Phil Twyford, that they're looking at that particular model. Now, I know that, uh, you know, repaying something over a 30-year period doesn't sound like very much. In terms of from an investment viewpoint, the markets love investing in yeah. long-term infrastructure bonds. But if you can imagine if you were paying $2,500 worth of rates that you and I are paying today on our house, well, imagine what would happen if because of the infrastructure costs of the subdivision that you have bought into and you bought it cheaply, but there was a 30-year development bond, instead of your rates being two and a half grand, imagine if they were $10,000. Mm, because effectively, you know, you're repaying yep. over a long period of time the infrastructure cost. Now, what that does, that has a negative impact on the existing housing stock mm. because the cost of subdividing that land is incredibly cheap, but it's transferring a lot of the burden um, onto the homeowner over a very long period of time. So is that a no-brainer, that model? Well, it is a no-brainer if you want elasticity um, of housing supply and allow builders and developers to quickly meet the needs of the market. It's very, very clever, and uh, Houston has has been a, a beacon of hope in mm-hmm. that area. I listen to a lot of podcasts from Australia, Canada, and Britain. They were all in the same housing dilemma as ourselves. Mm. Got about three minutes to go, Nick. Sure. Just talk about maybe what the effect that migration will have on housing. Well, look, it, migration to New Zealand historically has been quite muted over a very long period of time in the sense that it is positive, but it's been in the last five to six years that it's really started ramping up. Mm. And so, so it's almost an aberration what we're seeing at the moment. And the other thing is we've got 
um, net positive migration with Australia. I mean, that that just doesn't happen. No. I mean, you know, we, we always exactly. talked about the um, um, the fact that we're really good at, at exporting human capital to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's of, the other way around. Now. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. late, of late, that's actually stopped. So. The fact is that if if the government, through its policies, was to slow down migration and Australia was to move out of the um, doldrums that it is in mm. economically at the moment, where New Zealand is uh, in a purple patch, if that was to swap and move back to the norm, then you'd see New Zealanders moving to Australia. And that, that pricking of that bubble, it doesn't take much no. in terms of a couple of thousand people not requiring housing or electing not to come here or 2,000 people moving back to Australia. And, in fact, that could happen within a year. Very, very quickly. Yeah. Human capital moves very quickly. Yeah, that's right. So that yeah. could have a huge impact on, uh, on the housing that we know. Look, Nick, we're out of time. So uh, just remind our listeners, we want to come and see you for some financial advice. Where is the Stewart Group? We're at 204 Academy Road uh, in Central Hastings, black, a black basalt stone building with a tartan logo. And if we want to give you a call, what's the number there? Uh, 8788961 As always a pleasure Look after self Nick We'll talk to you same time Same place next time Thank you This program was produced by And first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers A volunteer based Community access station for more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project.